0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta drive deep out to left field he clubbed it Brady twisting and turning looking up and giving up
0: it's a home run for Danby Swanson Flare out towards shallow right that's big trouble Albies going back he dives and he makes the catch what a play Ozzie Albie. Swanson is headed for three he'll try for an inside the parker relay throw comes toward the plate he'll score standing and it's his second inside the park home run of the season this is your weekly podcast Dedicated to the Atlanta Braves Farm System. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves Farm System and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over on talkingchop.com where I've been the deputy site manager for the last couple of seasons and the minor league editor for the better part of six seasons now. Joining me this evening is one of the OGs of the Road to Atlanta. Uh, he hasn't been on the show in a while. Uh, a combination of technical issues and just you know having a lot of things going on in life uh, has kind of kept him on the show. You may recognize him from his uh, presence over on Twitter at BravesMILB. We have one Garrett Spain, uh, the first guy that I brought on to the talking chop crew to help me out with the minor league, uh, side of things, uh, things are a little bit bigger and a little bit easier to handle these days. Garrett, how are you, man?
1: Man, I am great. I am excited to be back ready for the season to get started. It's it's, a, it's an exciting time for baseball. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Uh I'm a little bit under the weather today. Uh stomach's been bothering me basically most of the day, but uh I really wanted to get the show recorded. We wanted to record last night, but with all the storms coming through, I already I lost my internet. I don't know, something basically mid-afternoon yesterday. Um, and that was before any storms were rolling through. I was pretty convinced that we were going to have some issues with at least some power outages or, you know, just the internet going out. And I didn't want to like be recording halfway through and then all of a sudden, you know, either there's thunder that's caught, that's, you know, messing up the audio or, you know, we lose a connection and we end up recording tonight anyway. Uh, so we went ahead and just kind of called an audible and just decided to record tonight. We are, you know, happy to be recording. Um, and again, I'm kind of glad to be doing this because again, not feeling particularly great today. So it's kind of nice to be able to talk baseball with Garrett. Uh, it's a fun fact. Uh, as it turns out, uh, and I found this out early on in my writing career at Talking Shop is that writing minor league recaps every day really takes the life out of you. And I know this because for the first, uh, let's see, that 2016 season, it was just me. I think Garov came and helped late this season, that season, but for most of that 2016 season, it was just me and you. Was it 2016 or 2015? was it just me and uh, you? I think it, I think my
1: <clears throat> I think my first year was 2015 because that was the year we traded for Tukey, right it was 2015 that's when i started that,
0: that 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 sounds right i know that for a little so when i first started talking Chop, i started helping out on the minor league recaps uh and someone else was in charge who's nola who's long been gone from the tc tr- staff uh, he was kind of in charge of the minor league stuff and then he was just not like, would forget to write stuff and like I'd get messages from Chris, you know, early in the morning to get them written. Uh, I basically kind of took that responsibility and yeah, I think you're right. It has to be 2015 because then, uh, I was, you know, half dead, uh, writing those minor league recaps, uh, and I had seen your, you were on Twitter uh, and I reached out to you about helping out with the prospect list that year. That's what it was. Uh, and your only, the only thing you said about helping out with the prospect list is that we, that we had to have an agreement that Ozzie Albies was going to be the number one prospect and not Jose Peraza. Uh, we were in agreement on that, and that's been kind of the story ever since. It's just, you know, Garrett's been along for the ride and helping out for, again, for a long time. And I'm really glad to get to talk baseball with him because, you know, we, we're, we're in the same group chat, and we're constantly talking about baseball. It's kind of nice to be able to just like you know sit down and really kind of like dig in on some you know on some topics because sometimes we don't really get to do that as much as we'd like uh, unless it's like prospectless season and things like that so we uh this is gonna be another mailbag episode uh we did take a we did take a call for some questions uh earlier this week got a lot of good ones um but there's a few news items that I do want to cover and I want to kind of touch base with with Garrett but um first I kind of want to just say Garrett i mean your plans where we're kind of having to retool how we do coverage this year just because you know we don't have as many teams to have to cover and you know there's gonna be some changes with Augusta coming in and Rome going to high A and not having to deal with Florida anymore so like kind of what's your general plan for the 2021 season kind of what you're going to be focusing on at least for the first part Uh, I'm definitely going to be looking at you know obviously I live like
1: 10 minutes from Gwinnett Stadium so I'll probably be down there every few weekends or so just to check out you know, we got a lot of pitchers coming through. you know, Muller, Davidson, Jesse Al De La Cruz, and we'll probably have Waters down there. Who knows? You may see Contreras. I know they're talking about having him as a backup, and just whoever comes through there. So, I'm probably going to go through and try to see pretty much every pitcher in Gwinnett because every single one's going to be a legit prospect, and then just go to a bunch of games there. Um, if things work out and i'm in a good situation we may i may take a trip to rome or especially augusta is what i'm looking at but who knows how that's gonna turn out it's a little too early to call
0: yeah i know that Grav is certainly pushing for like kind of like a big tc trip out to augusta uh but i think it's because he kind of wants to rent like one of those like like old school mansions out by like Augusta National to <laughs> to just to say that we've done it, but I I think it would be a lot of fun to make a trip out there, uh, be able to see Dee Lee. Uh, he certainly would be he, if he was out there. We could you know chat with him and talk with him, watch some baseball with him. Um, but beyond that, I mean like you know again we're gonna be kind of focusing on the the teams that are be closest to us first. Uh, I'm gonna be at Rome for certain. Uh, I want to get to Augusta. Uh, I'm again I am. Determined to get to Mississippi this year, I uh, keep putting it off, and uh, you know, I want I want to be able to you know see Chris Harris out there in, at Mississippi and kind of see those AA guys and see what's going on down in Pearl. So that's my general plan. Um, as for news items, before we kind of get into the mailbag questions, the two biggest items that have happened one is that we've been kind of seen some guys being sent back to minor league camp. Uh, the big names are Kyle Wright, who that him being sent back to minor league camp sort of told us that between him and Bryce Wilson, that he was not going to be the guy that was going to be getting those early season opportunities. Uh, and then we also had Bryce Wilson sent down today. But according to the reporting from Mark Bowman, that's more like roster stuff because they want to do a bullpen game, six games into the season, which kind of made me raise my eyebrows a little bit beyond that. You know, all, all the guys that we see, see are seeing getting sent back to camp are like non 40 band guys, guys that were never going to make the roster. So Garrett, I just want to see your thoughts. Uh first, your the decision over the uh, to seemingly privilege Bryce Wilson over Kyle Wright is one that certainly got our, got our attention. Uh, what did you think about that competition and kind of what do you think about both those guys going forward? I mean, I think I think
1: long-term I still favor Kyle Wright in a lot of ways. I think he has multiple pitches that can work at the major league level, but it, I think he's shown us enough at this point that you can say he's not ready. He's not ready to take the leap to being a full-time starter. And if AAA is where he needs to go to figure it out, then that's, you know, what he has to do. So right now, I wouldn't be terribly confident having him in the fifth starter role. Whereas with Wilson, I mean, uh, you know, he had a great game in the NLCS. um, And he's... (laughs) He's not going to kill himself like Kyle Wright does, and I think that that's what the Braves are favoring here is a guy who's going to come in and at least, you know, hit the strike zone most of the time. So I think that that's the main decision here. I still don't think he's a starter long-term. I don't really like having, you know, if you you don't want him in the rotation all year, you don't want him making postseason starts, but... For now, he can do the job, and we'll just kind of see how that turns out i mean i don't I don't dislike Bryce Wilson; I think he can be a good reliever. I think that he c- could potentially make it work as a back end starter, but I don't see him long term being a solution in the rotation, whereas I think Wright could eventually figure it out. It's not happening right now, but if you know with pitchers, things click sometimes, and maybe it clicks for him, and he does turn into a starter that can succeed for the Braves in the future.
0: See, I'm a little bit higher on Bryce. I think he does have a realistic chance of being kind of like, a, like again, like a fourth or fifth starter, uh, and one that could be reasonably good. You know, a guy that's fast, as fastball heavy as he is, like you just there's such a little margin for error. Uh, and I certainly would like to see some better secondaries out of him. But, I mean, like, for a guy that, like, made – like, who outpitched Clayton Kershaw in the NLCS, who was on the mound when the Braves clinched the division last year, you know, I, I think he's at least deserved the opportunity to try. Uh, I, I think he has earned a little bit of leash to try to make starting work. Uh I think that he could be a good pitcher. Uh, I'm Uh Again, he's not going to be a guy that misses a ton of bats. He's not you know it's not, it's not gonna be you know seven innings of shut up ball with ten ks out of from from bryce, but I think it could be a good i think it could just be a good starting pitcher uh that will kind of give you some quality innings when you need him um and you know maybe he doesn't blow your hair back but at the very least he kind of puts in like that workman you know that workman type of role whereas as a fourth or fifth starter he just makes sure that he can you know maybe he won't like go two or three innings he'll be able to get a little bit deeper in the games. Um, the thing about Wright, and it's—I've been saying this for years—and it drives me crazy—is that once he gets one time through an order, he no longer trusts himself, his stuff, and he starts getting really cute with like what he's trying to do, and then he loses his command, and it's like it's like clockwork every time, and it's really frustrating. Like he looks good, he looks good, and then guys get another look at him, and he just decides that you know the breaking balls and the fastballs that he were, that he was throwing that they literally couldn't pick up on at all. He's just not going to throw that type of pitch anymore. And he tries to get really cute with like sl- subtle movements and trying to like, you know, nibble on corners. And he doesn't have the command to do that. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, trying to, he starts overthrowing and it's, it's again, a very frustrating situation. And I don't think he pitches particularly well with guys on base either. So, you know, are those things that he can work out in AAA? Maybe, I hope so. Um, you know he's been in he's been in the organization a little while now, and it seems like the story has remained the same with him. So at some point, I'm going to start wondering whether or not there's this is just who he is as a player. Uh, he ended last season pretty, pretty well in the big with the big leagues, but he's also kind of a guy that is cl- very clearly doesn't have the trust of the organization. And there's a lot of starting pitchers that are starting to back up up there in in, in Gwinnett, so I wonder. If, like, at some point you just have to kind of go, okay, we have to give someone else a shot at this thing. Uh, and Bryce is getting that shot right now, but there's other guys that are waiting their turn, too. I mean, there's guys who have already made their debuts, like Chuck or Tucker Davidson. Um, you know, Jesse L. De La Cruz is going to be hanging around. Kyle Muller hasn't made his debut yet, but he's on the 40-man roster, and, you know, he's going to be pushing for, you know, some time on the mound, too, so... I wonder a little bit about Wright at this point. I'd really do, and that's a shame because, I mean, in terms of pure stuff, and if like you're like just like you know, look at this pitch, look how this fastball moves, and he he passes all those eye tests. But once it starts happening and the game plan starts being executed on the mound, uh, he you know he just he can't find the strike zone reliably. He can't command his pitches reliably. He just doesn't seem to really know where they're going, and you know sometimes. That works because the stuff is so good that you know the batters are fooled too. But sometimes the batters aren't fooled and they just wait on a pitch so they can drive, and that's when generally he gets himself in trouble. Um, the other piece of news today: uh, Fangraphs dropped their top 50 prospect list today. Really interesting list, and <laughs> there's a couple. Of, and we've been talking about a couple of rankings in the uh, in our chat. Pretty, uh, a good bit today, I should say. Uh, a few notable rankings. Uh, Michael Harris was placed in the top five. He was ranked number four by Fangraphs, uh, which we like to see. We, uh, we, we're also, we placed him, we placed him quite high ourselves back in January. Um again, really think he's incredibly talented. You know, is he gonna be like, you know, the next Ronald Acuna Jr. I, I didn't like those comparisons when they were being made by some of the guys on air and during spring. I didn't like those, but really, really talented guy. I could see him being challenging for that top spot in the in the prospect list by midseason, uh, assuming this season goes well. Um, Ambioris Tavares, who's a name we haven't talked about on this podcast, uh, was the international signee that the Braves made back in January. Um, kind of a big body kid. You know, he looks like he's playing shortstop right now. Looks like he's more headed for third base. But it seems like he's heading for power. He was ranked in the 20 range, I think, is what I ended up being. Um, but we didn't rank him because he isn't. He wasn't signed uh, by the time we made that list. Uh, I think that he'd be somewhere in the late teens or 20 if we, if we were to rank him right now. But the name that got our attention was Alex Jackson being placed in the top 10. Uh, and as it turns out in our chat, one of the bigger defenders of that ranking, or at least that there was a rationale for it, is on this podcast with me right now. Uh, so Garrett, kind of walk me through your rationale for kind of maybe not like you because clearly you didn't rank Ajax in the top ten when we were when we were making the prospect list. But what kind of went? What was your first reaction to that? And kind of what do you think their thought process was in putting Ajax at high?
1: I will say that I believe I was the only person to actually put Ajax in the top thirty for our preseason list this year. So I did I put him there, and I mean I stand by that. To an extent with, I mean, the reason that he is where he is on their list is because they gave him a 40 grade on his hit tool, which is, I don't see yeah, I, that ha- I mean, we're, we're he walks a little bit shortly. and I, I mean, that's a decision. I'll say that. It's a decision. Um, I mean, I, there's a lot to like. There's plenty to like about him as a prospect. He, he, a catcher who can field position. He's not an elite catcher, but he's serviceable behind the plate who has double plus power, I mean, that's, I mean, everyone's going to like that to an extent. And if you look at it as his profile, there are guys with that profile who have succeeded to an extent. One example, which he's a much better defender, but one example would be Mike Zanino. So if he can hit for power and if the bat magically improves, which can happen, guys, it can click for guys he's 25 so it's not like he's that old he could be a major league starter i don't know how you have him above guys like wilson schuster even Shoemaker. i mean it's difficult for me to eat, to justify that for a guy who effectively has like a 30 hit tool if we're being really generous but I do see him as a prospect. And he is a major league player. He's going to be a major league player. He's a good enough player with that power to be a backup, survive as a backup catcher. But he's going to have to do a lot hitting-wise to be a starter. And, I I mean, it may come. He does – earlier in his career, he walked a little bit more. The last couple of seasons, it's been a lower walk rate. And so that is another thing that's concerning. If he doesn't draw walks, that's really going to – expose the fact that he can't hit for average so he can get the walk rate up and hit at a serviceable level even 200 he can make it in the major leagues but i honestly question if he can hit that another interesting ranking that you didn't mention is bryce ball at 11 i mean that's they did they, 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 they did put him high they did put him that's high. A, that's a big i like ball more than i like jackson i can say that for sure I think he has a lot more chance to hit than Jackson does. Yeah,
0: that's a. I, I I could I could feel Matt smiling at Bryce Ball being ranked just ahead of Braden Shoemake. Like I know, like I didn't have to even sit, talk to Matt directly. I knew that that was happening. Um, yeah, it, again, a really really interesting list. Um, you know, and some guys that we didn't rank, um, but like had either been mentioned by mentioned by in, in some votes. Or we just didn't, he didn't quite make it. Uh, Nolan Kingham, uh, Jared Johnson, uh, Darius Vines. These are all guys that we're keeping an eye on, but we just don't know for sure kind of where to put them right now. Uh, so for guys that we haven't seen much in pro ball, we kind of more, put more of a wait and see approach, approach on them. Uh, I will say that in, I agree with you that Jackson should be a backup catcher in this league. I am skeptical that kind of the way his stance sets up and how his defense plays that – how do I put it? That his defense will be good enough for long enough to justify that roster spot unless he can hit like higher than 150. And I honestly question whether or not that would happen. Um, the, 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 the idea of putting a 40-hit tool on Alex Jackson kind of blew, blew me away. And, like, there's a 40 future, 45 future value on this list on Alex Jackson, and I don't see how a backup catcher reaches that. I just don't. And that that's where I kind of have my problems with this. It's it's, it's with the hit tool because they're absolutely right about the raw power. There's just no, there are a few guys that we have seen that has, like, the pure raw power of Alex Jackson. does. If you go to spring training and, like, you're in the backfields and you're wanting to watch batting practice, Alex Jackson's one of the guys you watch because he just parks balls all over the place. And so I don't question that. And I will say that, you know, the conversion from being an outfielder in Seattle's system to becoming a catcher again, I was very skeptical that that was going to work out. And he looks the part, and he acts the part. I mean, that glove freezes whenever he's catching, and, you know, he still has those pop times that are good enough. And, you know, is he, like, the the best blocker? No, but, you know, he does a lot of things well, and he moves well behind the plate. So that he actually turned into a viable catcher kind of is impressive, but the hit tool is bad enough where I question whether he should be ranked at all. Now that said, and if it was my decision to make, I would be playing Travis Darno like 60 to 70% of the time. And then I'd be playing William Contreras the other 30% of the time, because I think that makes the team better because, his bat is significantly better than Alex Jackson's is. Uh, I know that Fangrass has Contreras at six and Alex Jackson has eight. I do not believe that that is that close. Um, if you want to put Alex Jackson at the back of a, the back end of a top 30, I suppose I, you could convince me that's fine. Uh, that, this high is where I have a problem and it's because of that hit tool. Um, but at the same time, if they want to give Contreras a lot of, you know, reps with Gwinnett and if they want to make sure that he's, you know, Catching a lot and learning the craft and things like that. You could convince me that Alex Jackson is the backup catcher, not playing very often, uh, just spelling, uh, Travis Darno here and there. You could convince me that that's okay. Like that's, that, that, this isn't like a, a decision or a, a commentary on a roster decision that's being made, because I think those decisions are a little bit different. Because again, I do think that Alex Jackson is going to end up being a major league backup, you know, for a a while, I think. Um again, with that raw power, there's upside there where, you know, if that one game or like one game every ten games where you're running your blackout catcher out there, and he you know, he has a chance of running into one and sending it four hundred and eighty feet away. So again, like it's not a question of whether or not like Alex Jackson has no worth. Uh that's not what I'm guess I'm getting at. It's more that, you know, to put him at eight puts a lot of confidence in that hit tool, and I just I have trouble defending that he has a forty hit tool. I, I think it might be, uh, what Garrett said, 30 might be generous. Uh, I think that in the major leagues, he's going to hit like a buck fifty. Maybe. Um, I would love to be wrong about that because if he's hitting high more than that, that means he's also hitting some bombs in places like Evan Gaddis territory. And I'd love to see that. Um, okay. I mean, so, he's,
1: go ahead. Statistically speaking, he's had like 99th percentile power output output like statistical output at every level so he's going to get his and i think that i mean i think he'll hit better than 150 i think the problem is going to be that he's going to hit i think the problem is going to be that he's going to hit 180 but he's also not going to walk if he hit 180 with 30 bombs and walked 15 percent of the time you could almost make it work but i think his problem is is that he's he's never walked more than like
0: at, since a ball, well, he has let's, never let's, walked let's, more than 9% of the time, which is. Well, look, if he has 30 bombs, we're playing in like 40 games a year, we could talk, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Uh, he's going to, you know, he's going to hit a few. Uh, and then, I mean, you know, he has yeah. 30
1: home run potential if he was a full time player. Obviously he's not going to play enough to do that, but he has the potential to do it. But I just, I think the big, I think his hit tool isn't going to be. It's obviously going to be terrible, but I think that the issue is, is he has, he doesn't have a hit tool and he also doesn't walk. And when you can't do either, there's just, you're not going to get on, he's just not going to get on base enough to even justify, you know, playing him.
0: That's, and the problem is that he, there's a guy, there's William Ferris, who's literally right there at Gwinnett, who's already on the 40 man roster, who's going to make your team better immediately. Uh, even if you, maybe you're not giving him the enough of bats that you would like. I think at some point you're gonna go, okay, he Contreras can come up. We can play him more than we could Ajax uh, with Darno, you know, spell Darno, let him rest up a bit, so that you can kind of play him in the games that you really want to play him in later on in the season. And, you know, more importantly, Contreras would allow himself to get like more acclimated to the pitching staff and kind of get used to those guys. I think that that experience has a lot of value too, and not just the value the, of the experience that he'd be getting at Triple A Gwinnett. So, I, again, like. I, I get the decision to be made both sides. I personally play Contreras, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I understand that decision, you know, regarding the, the decision between those two. But I will say that that Ajax was put in the top ten and kind of, you know, caught my attention. But you really should look at, look at the Fangraph's list, though. This isn't a situation where I was yelling at the Fangraph's writer uh, several years ago, and I was, like, genuinely mad. Uh, the list is actually really, really interesting. Uh covers a lot of players, a lot of good information about all these guys, particularly information that was coming out of the uh, alternate sites and kind of what they were hearing about them in the Instructs too. So these are, this is definitely a, a place where you should be looking for your information uh, about, about these guys going into the season because uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. All right. So now it's mailbag time and you know, it wouldn't be a talking chop slash road to Atlanta podcast without first discussing one, Michael Harris. And that was the first question that we got. Uh, what, which was uh what is a realistic time we could see Michael Harris in AAA? Garrett? How soon are we going to see him? I
1: I mean, I I don't honestly know how aggressive the Braves are going to be with him. If we look at – obviously the situations are completely different. But if we look at Drew Waters, he – in his second professional season, he got to AAA about beginning of August. And I would argue we haven't seen him on the field, so we don't really know what he's going to do statistically. But Harris is, at least approach-wise and all of that, more – a significantly more advanced than waters was at the same stage, so I do think that we could see him by mid you know by oct- by late uh, late july early august i mean i don 't see that that being out of the question i mean i don't they don't have a huge reason to rush him, and they might be more hesitant to do it because he hasn't actually played real games but at the same time i think playing at the alternate site was better for him than playing at you know rome or you know florida when they were with us so i mean i yeah i mean i think we see him in triple a this year honestly he's so advanced and he's doing so well i think he's gonna do just fine in double a and he'll be ready
0: see i'm gonna be more the pessimist on this particular question I think it could be that he, like, starts the year, like, in 2022 in AAA. Um, I am a little bit more skeptical of how the team views the experience at the alternate site, mainly because I think that there's a difference between, like, your teammates that are competing against you, you know, what kind of approach they're making to try to get you out and pitch to you, how that could be different than what a guy in a completely different organization who's, like, trying to, like, you know, blast his way to the major leagues – It's just, I think that it's just fundamentally different. Um, now I don't think it's crazy to think that he could blast his way to triple A, but I think that this, it's, that's asking a lot of the guy, uh, when he's barely played any A ball. So I think it's more likely 2022. Um, but I think that the Braves would think very highly of him depend, and I could see them being like, you know, putting him in Rome for high A to start the season. Uh, now if he starts the season in double A, which would be really aggressive, I would, Maybe revise my my estimate of it, but I think it's likely that he would like maybe start in high A as a pretty reasonably aggressive assignment, truly for a 20 year old who has barely any experience at, above rookie ball. Um, and then you know maybe he gets his way to double A, and then you know depending on how he hits, we can kind of have a discussion. But I think he would do like reasonably well in double A, and then you know you just kind of take your time with him because there's not a rush on him right now, there's not a spot that's readily available for him to where you feel like you need to get him, move him up the ladder quickly to take a spot. Uh, and once he gets to double A, everything's in play anyway. So if you like start him off in high A and if he's hitting really well down there, then you put him at double A and let him do his thing. I, I think that's the more likely path, but you are right. There are Braves have in the past been very aggressive, but you know, with, you know, there's different voices in play in terms of player development now um, with with Sestenovich and all those guys that I wonder if they're going to kind of have a set plan in place for these guys. Whereas when we saw with like Acuna and some other guys, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was kind of a little bit of a different sort of mindset going in. Uh, next question is about another prospect we get asked a lot about, which is that Shumake has a nice overall skill set, but I've seen a lot of how a lot of low launch angles and soft contact from him this spring. Do you guys see this as an issue for him? If so, do you think he will make the corresponding adjustments to his swing? We've had this discussion before, Garrett. So you first. I, I mean,
1: it's it's obviously an issue. It's, he's not maximizing his potential, so it is an issue. I mean, we've heard that yes, the Braves are attempting to make tweaks to his swing to tap into his raw power. So obviously, the effort's going to be there. And ultimately his potential is going to depend on is he going to tap into that power? Is he going to tap into reasonable amounts of power? Is he going to hit the ball with enough authority? Is he – so I I mean I think that he's a guy that can rake regardless. He's going to hit. He's going to get on base. I don't think that that's dependent on the swing, but his ultimate ceiling and how well he can produce is – going to depend on whether he can I don't want to say fix the issues but just make adjustments to produce more power
0: so here's what I'll say about Shoemaker because we've talked about him a good bit um I'm not a big fan of kind of those open stance swings uh and particularly the bat path that he has because it is at best a line drive swing now I will say that in spring the amount of soft contact you're going to see uh, against guys who are like more advanced pitching wise than Braden is uh, in terms of his career. I-, I wouldn't make too much of that. And when I saw him playing, the, the contact was loud enough. Like he was hitting the ball with authority, but the launch angle stuff is a real issue. And I don't think that he's going to be able to connect for much in the way of home runs, the way that his swing is built. Now he's said publicly, and I think he had an interview on fan about this It's like, you know, the idea, you know, the idea that he has is that he wants to hit as many line drives as possible. You know, he wants to hit those gap doubles and eventually the home runs kind of come, you know, just based on, you know, almost by accident, right? Um, I think that you are asking a lot of your hit tool and a lot of the strength that you have in your body to make that play consistently. And, you know, he certainly, he's put on some weight. He's put on some muscle. This is good. Uh, I would like to see an approach that he was just being like looking for pitches to drive rather than just kind of poking at balls. But in terms of like what you see in spring for a guy that's not going to make the roster, not something that I'm like was drawing too many conclusions about. The launch angle suck in the swing. I don't think it's a soft contact problem. I think there are, there are some launch angle concerns. And what we'll see in, in terms of how that plays is TBD. Uh, I think that he is trying to work on kind of drive the ball a little bit more and have a little bit more strength without sacrificing his speed. But, you know, again, I, that's, that's something that I want to see. Uh, is see if that actually plays. Cause if he's hitting a bunch of doubles and, you know, the occasional home run, that's probably good enough for a shortstop. Um, but if he's a guy that, you know, is still kind of short earning, short earning some throws from shortstop and maybe doesn't move around as well as some people think that he does, um, and it also isn't really hitting the ball with authority, then, you know, you kind of have one of those tweener utility types that Garrett's right. He's probably going to get hits and, you know, he's going to hit for some average and draw some walks. But beyond that, in terms of being an impact bat, you know, there's worth, there's reason to be a little bit skeptical there. Um, do the Braves still consider Langley as a potential catcher of the future alongside Contreras? Where does he start the year? And is there a chance we will see him in Atlanta in 2022?
1: Garrett. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I don't, guess I really understand the, uh, wording of the question, because still consider Langelliers, I, I don't know what Langelliers has done to not be considered a p- potential catcher I, of the I, future,
0: I, so I don't really, I, I, he was I, drafted, I, 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 drafted well, ninth overall no, two they, years they, ago, they, so. Yeah, they, they, they sent him back down to the minor League camp. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only conclusion I can come to. Yeah, yeah I, that's uh, kind of where I was
1: actually. Go ahead. He, he's, he's clearly, I mean, he's a very good prospect. Contreras and Langoliers you can switch them back and forth they're effectively value-wise the same prospect I mean the Braves have a good problem there and it's really going to be fun to see I mean there's there's no reason why both can't coexist in Atlanta Mm -hmm. every team needs two catchers because catchers can't catch 162 games a year so there's no reason that we the Braves can't have both in there performing for them so I of course, he's still a catcher of the future. I have no idea where he's going to start this year. I would assume
0: double A, but it could be high A. I don't really know. I would assume double A. Yeah, I think it just depends on how close they want Shea to Atlanta proper. Uh, I think in the terms of that decision as to where to start him, I wouldn't be shocked if he started double A though, because I think he, the word that we got was that he performed well in the, at the alternate site. Uh, as a kind of a college level guy, you don't necessarily want to kind of what would be the purpose of starting him in high A, I guess, would be my question. Um but, so double A is my guess, uh, and I agree with Garrett. I don't, I don't think, nothing has happened that should dissuade anyone from thinking that Shea Langleyers isn't a potential catcher of the future for the Braves. It's just that Contreras has been in this, the system for longer, and he's on the 40-man roster. Like, if you thought that, if you think that the decision as to why he's not being considered a backup right now, and why Shea was you know, not kept cut part, cut part of the major league camp. I don't. That has nothing to do with it. And it just has more to do with the fact that giving those forty man guys and giving the guys who have been in the system a little longer, a little bit further along, just giving them their chance it has nothing to do with anything that's bad about Shea. Uh, he's a he's a very gifted defensive catcher. And if there is it, one thing I really would love to see is if they instituted that rule, that crazy rule where you can steal first base, and seeing how many guys think that trying to do so on Shea is a good idea. Because they're going to, take, to get their souls taken from them if they're trying to like you know get away with like cheap you know getting on base cheaply against him because that's a guy who can like he'll he's the guy who will pick guys off at first. He's the guy who can make guys look silly trying to steal bases against him. So really really fun prospect. Uh the question's gonna be the bat and how it plays and it seems like there's some progress there at the alternate site. How that plays is just gonna we have to wait and see. But I don't think that the Braves are, like, any lower on him, and I don't think we're any lower on him. They're, but, again, you and some language, they're very comparably ranked prospects, and, frankly, they're both really, really good. The Braves have a good, nice little problem having two of the better catching prospects in the game. Uh, we do have a few more questions uh, that we we make sure we're going to an- try to get the answer before we log off here. But before we do that, we're going to take a, a minute to listen to a word from our sponsors. All right, Garrett. Yeah, we're, we're we're getting pretty close here to, in terms of the questions, uh, and hopefully, you know, we don't, when Garrett, when Garov and I did this, we ran over like 15 minutes, ended up being an hour and 15 minutes, and we thought it was going to be a really quick show. Uh, so we'll see if we can kind of trim this one back a little bit so that listeners don't have to necessarily, you know, have to listen to us in multiple installments or anything like that. Um, so one question was a really good one, and I actually made some notes here, uh, to kind of answer it, uh, and I'll let Garrett Kind of explain his specific guys, but what is one prospect that each of you values way more than the others do? Uh, I will say that there's not anyone that's like way off, uh, with the possible exception of Matt Powers. But uh Garrett, kind of talk about the guys that you're kind of you think you're higher on, a lot higher on than most of us.
1: So I know the question says one prospect, but. You have two listed for each player, so I'm gonna go with two. The first one I was gonna mention was, and we just talked about him, Braden Shoemake. I think uh, I'm I'm not like much higher on him. I think I'm one position higher on him than the next press than the next highest, but I am a little bit higher on him than most. I'm not really this year. I wasn't really that outrageous with anybody, but I think Shoemake is one of those guys that kind of. If you look at each individual piece of him, you would say "Eh, it's not that impressive. But he's kind of good enough at everything that he can contribute value. And ultimately, it's like his the sum of his parts is greater than each of them individually. So I think that in a way, the way he's kind of more just fringy – I'm not going to say fringy. But more average at kind of everything than he is good at any one particular spot is going to make him – he's going to be one of those players that is not going to really look that great stat line wise, but ultimately it's going to be a successful player. Uh, Another one, and we don't talk about him. And this is one of the reasons that I picked him for this. We don't talk about him as much as I think we should. And that's Jared Schuster. We, I mean, he, a first round pick, you know, obviously we didn't really get to see, we didn't get to see him. And so we haven't seen him professionally yet, but I mean, there's, he's a, really good pitching prospect and he kind of gets lost in the shuffle of having Mueller and Wright and Wilson and all of the other guys but he's got he's a lefty with you know he was up to 97 I think we're still seeing that velocity so and he improved his command at White Forest unfortunately we didn't get to see a ton of that and get to see whether he was going to keep that but early in the season the returns were great I love a guy with a great changeup that's a guy that can throw a changeup, especially a left-handed pitcher. It's a very good pitch to have for a lefty. you got to love those guys that have a changeup. He's got a slider that can work in the major leagues. So to have a left-handed pitcher with three pitches who can get, you know, low to mid-90s, can get up to 97, there's a lot to like about him. Ultimately, it will depend on whether he can maintain that kick, the command he had in the Cape Cod League and early in the spring the jury's out on that His he doesn't have the smoothest and most aesthetically pleasing delivery but he does repeat it fairly well given what it is there's a lot to like about him and he tends to get underrated because by us because we haven't seen him professionally we've only really seen four games of him at his best but if he can if he can repeat what he did in the Cape Cod League and what he did early in spring with Wake Forest in terms of his stuff and his performance, we're going to see a guy that's going to vault up list very, very quickly, and we're going to see a guy that Braves fans are going to get excited about having
0: in their rotation long term. Absolutely. Uh Schuster's really high on my list of guys that I want to see and like watch closely. Uh There's kind of like, you know, like monitoring a guy starts and then there's really kind of like watching how he works and kind of seeing how his pitches move, how they spin. Um, that he's high on the list of just like I'm just gonna like have to sit down, find him at a game, and just like literally just kind of stare and watch and kind of see how those pitches move and how they're how the bite how they're biting and kind of what the velocity's looking like because he's again he has the potential to be a very good prospect. I, I'm with Garrett. I love a good changeup. Um, and for a lefty, it's like almost. Mandatory at this point that you have a change up that can really keep for righties honest um, now if you're but I, i'm not again Garrett kind of went through why you know the, the merits of Jared schuster here um, I will say that it's hard to get a accurate snapshot of Guys that each one of us values more than others because I think all of us have really fluid con like concepts of what our lists and rankings and ideas about prospects are right now simply because we've been so far removed from seeing these guys in real game action in a lot of cases. Uh, I, I mean like there's guys that I have good feelings about but not guys that I have made my mind up about that the other writers here haven't, for example – Uh, everything's pretty fluid right now, and I wouldn't like, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, is that, you know, with our mid-season rankings, I could see things getting changed up all over the place, and that's, I'd be perfectly fine with that. And I think it's just because the information that we have is pretty incomplete. Uh, we don't really know how a lot of these guys are gonna react to the whole, you know, the shutdown, and, you know, guys who weren't at the alternate site, how do they develop on their own? Uh, we just don't know how that's gonna play out, so. Uh, um, but I, what I can do is I can look at our individual prospect rankings and I can give you some names of guys that were a little bit, I, I would say like maybe we, like each of us were kind of the outliers on, uh, and even that, some of it was pretty small. Um, for me, uh, I was a little higher, I was a little higher on Jesse Lodillo Cruz, uh, I think he can be a starter. Uh, And I was higher on him. I was also higher on Stephen Paulini, uh, mainly because I think it's a fantastic story (laughs) of finding a guy, a kid this athletic and could, you know, be a speed and power threat, uh, and finding him on like some small Connecticut high school circuit, uh, being able to snag him and realizing what he could be as a professional and, you know, understanding what he could potentially grow into. Uh, I, I'm just a little bit higher on him, uh, in terms of betting a little bit on that upside, even though understanding that he's very raw. Uh, Garov was a little higher on Tyler Owens, uh, pitching prospect. Yeah, as well as Bryce Elder, uh, the the college pitching prospect, the Braves pickup in the last draft. Uh, he's a guy that could move pretty quickly. That slider is really, really good, uh, and so that might actually just be a good bet. Uh, Matt uh, had, was more of the outlier on prospects than any of us, I think. Uh, really high on Makai Backstrom. Uh, Makai Backstrom is a top-10 prospect on, on Matt's list. Uh Victor Vodnik, I think that Matt thinks that there's a reasonable chance that he could start. I'm much less certain about that uh jared johnson seems like a really good pick Is a guy who could uh really surprise yeah uh, has some has some real uh has some flame in that arm uh and then undrafted free agent cam shepherd he's just a guy i've never seen before uh and i'm not really in a position to be able to say how what how good he could be uh but matt was willing to put him a little bit higher on the back end of his list than any of us were uh for wayne who values a lot of certainty college ca- college players Um, guys who have uh, a significant amount of track record. Uh, We have a pair of guys who he was a little bit higher on. Uh, He actually had uh, Shea Langleyers higher than Drew Waters on his list. Um, And then he also had Justin Dean higher than any of us. Uh, You know, really fast outfield prospect, you know, really kind of showed out when he was at Rome. Uh, He's a guy that could, you know, find himself in a role, particularly as a bench player in the major leagues relatively quickly because he's probably one of the faster players in the minor leagues for the Braves right now. Uh, So if you're kind of looking for guys who, like, we were all – no one was, like, crazy uh, other than, like, mad on a couple guys. But beyond that, everyone was kind of in the same range, just somewhere, like, you know, maybe two or three spots higher than others. Um, So next question is an interesting one because practically speaking, you know, it's kind of hard to gauge. But the question is, is this year's draft more important than usual? With all the effects of the pandemic, I think the Braves could use, could be set up to have an unusually deep draft and a deeper draft than other teams in this unusual year. And they really need it. Garrett,
1: you're up. Uh, I don't know how to answer this question. I mean, every draft is important. Every opportunity, you can't waste an opportunity to get talent in your system. So yes, it's important. I think. I guess coming off of a year when you only have five players, it might be a little more important, but they're kind of back in the international market now. So I don't, I don't know if it's, I wouldn't really say it's more important than any other draft. I mean, with them, like I said, being back in the international market, it's obviously important, but I wouldn't say that it's like vital that they have to hit with this draft. So
0: here's my thinking here. One, one, it is less necessary to fill out lower levels of the minors than it has been since we've been covering the minor leagues. So you don't necessarily need to fill out a lot of rookie ball rosters with guys, um, you know, those, those day two, day three guys that very, have very, very low chances of making the major leagues, but are guys that you know can make things at least a little bit more interesting down in the in, the, in rookie ball uh, before there's kind of that culling that happens uh, on their way into full season ball. I think it was more important last year because they were all, they were down a pick, and they were getting thin in the lower ranks of the minors. I, I never ascribed to the thought process that they were as deep as people were saying. Like they, People acted like they had no talent in the lower minors whatsoever, and I just didn't agree with that. I just think it was just talent that we didn't get to see play because there was a pandemic. Uh, I think that that 2019 draft was very good in kind of grabbing those day two and day three guys to fill out those minor league rosters. And a lot of those guys that we've liked for a while are now going to get to play in those lower minor league levels. You know, guys like Makai Baxter and Tyler Owens, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the guys that we would like, we're excited to see. Um, and I think that people are going to say, wow, those guys are better prospects than we had originally thought. But I will say, that when you have a window of contention, and you maybe have some spots on the roster that long term are uncertain, it's a good, it's a really, really good idea to kind of make sure that you have some certainty in your minor league system about guys who could potentially come up if you if you need help. Uh, if you take too much upside um, and you know and too much risk, you can get, you could get yourself into some trouble with you know you. You're betting on the guys in the major leagues maybe a little bit too much, and you don't really have help coming in case something goes wrong uh, or if a guy is completely craters, and that could reasonably happen. I'm of the opinion that you take the best player variable, and if that means that you take the highest upside guy in those first couple picks, that's what you do. But after that, I could see the Braves leaning on like kind of that college player strategy of like take proven performers – and just bring put, bring them into your system and then kind of have them around in case you really need to have a stopgap solution to like, you know, if Danby Swanson leaves or is hurt, you know, if Austin Riley doesn't work out, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the types of situations that I'd be thinking about. Um, with, with kind of, with kind of those picks, it, it's, it's tough to gauge as to kind of how important this is because I think that the Braves were in a better spot than a lot of people thought they were, but it's always important every draft to get the most talent possible. Um, We have had some disagreements with how the Braves have chosen to do that. I think that their approach has been particularly kind of safe and, frankly, a little bit boring uh, in the last couple drafts uh, in terms of their first their day one picks. But also they have shown a willingness to really kind of go after some young prep talent that has some real upside on day two and on day three. And I think that they've done so. So I think that once you are in that spot that you have some kind of guys you can bet on, then maybe this draft is important to kind of make sure that you're filling out the the ranks of your minor leagues with guys that aren't just minor league retreads and guys that have been around forever. But beyond that, I don't think it's anything more important than usual. I think what's more important is that as they come out of the penalty phase uh of for the international free agent international free agency that they are active participants in it and are going after the top guys. And I wonder how much of the infrastructure they have in place down there has allowed them to do that. Now be able to get Ambioris uh, like they were, who's one of the better bats in this IFA class, gives me hope towards that end. But I, want, I hope that there isn't issues with kind of them getting re-acclimated being in the kind of in the thick of things in the Dominican and in the thick of things in Venezuela to be able to get some of those, at least be able to be in play for some of those top players. And they don't have to wait a long time to kind of wait their turn as it were. Um, the next question is, what do you make of the Braves' decision to not allow other teams to scout uh, MILB, spring training, or the alternate site per Longhagen's tweet? Uh, does it have any impact on trading if the minor league season begins in May as as planned? Uh, Garrett, Garrett, go ahead. I have some kind of short thoughts on this.
1: If you have thoughts on it, you have more than me. I mean, I I, I don't know what to read into it. I mean, they probably just... I mean, I I think that it's more of a sign that they really didn't – they don't really trust the results at um, the alternate site, and they don't want – they didn't want performances or whatever from the alternate site to skew scouts' viewing of their players. Maybe that's it. Maybe they just didn't want to give teams more information than they needed. I I don't really think – I think, I honestly think it's that. I think they just kind of were like, eh, why bother giving them more information than they need to have? Let's just keep as much to ourselves as possible. And I mean, they clearly, based on what I saw at the trade deadline last year, they weren't really going for it anyway. I mean, they were, but they weren't really like that willing to move their prospects anyway. And so by the time the trade, down, trade deadline comes a la around this year i mean it's going to be like three months of baseball so i think that teams are going to know at that point and it shouldn't affect it too much
0: yeah i uh, i think that with the i mean you're, there's still gonna be minor league baseball to watch right like i i don't i think that this is just the braves being this new version of the braves where they just won't give out any information they don't have to um and, you know, they'll, they'll be scouts at games and I don't think it's going to impact trading at all. I think it's just more kind of the Braves just being completely unwilling to just give out any information before they have to. Uh, and, you know, like tipping their hand in terms of decision making or how guys are being treated or what they're working on again before that they, they need to show that in minor league games. Uh, in terms of like, you know, overall, like, you know, Interleague dynamics and kind of, you know, our team's not going to be willing to trade with the Braves. I mean, there's no one's going to be making trades that first month of the season anyway. And if they are, it's because something kind of went crazy wrong. So I think it's more likely that, you know, once the minor league season starts back up, there's this scouting is going to be more back to normal. Um, and you know, people are going to, teams are going to be able to get their evaluations the way they need to and be able to get the information the way they want. You know, again, with the way the minor league, the way the minor leagues are set up. And kind of how much more technology is kind of being put into these stadiums. Uh, now, they, they can't seem to like, you know, make a, a scoreboard that function properly or a camera that, you know, we the public can watch without having to like, you know, like decipher it through, you know, using like a, an old school, you know, Victrola or something like that to watch it. Uh, they they well, there's a lot more data collection in these minor league stadiums, and while that it's good for the Braves when they have teams coming to visit them, they can collect the data on all their guys as well as opposing guys. But other teams are doing the same stuff, so I think that a lot of that data collection everyone gets caught up pretty quickly, uh, and I don't think it's going to affect anything adversely. Um, is Drew Waters the everyday left fielder if the universal DH is incorporated next year? Garrett.
1: I'm gonna say no I think it's more like I mean maybe I think it's more likely he's either traded or not ready for the major leagues than he is to be ready I mean if we're talking by the end of the season if he's still in the organization by the end of the season I mean I'm not saying that I think he's gonna be traded but I mean I wouldn't bet against it if he's still in the organization by the middle or end of next season I can see it I don't Think that he will be ready by the beginning of next year he could be but I think that he's got enough approach issues that I would be concerned about having him full-time right at the beginning of next year
0: I will say that if he's hitting well this year he's going to get a lot of teams attention and he's going to have a lot of value as a trade asset and I think that's kind of what Garrett was getting at um I'd say that it's fairly likely, I guess. Um, But I will say that based on how Major League Baseball and the Players Union have handled these talks, particularly on the league side, uh, I I have no confidence whatsoever that they can establish the CBA in a way that's going to give us a baseball season uh, or one that's going to include a universal DH, even though everyone agrees that it makes the game better. Um, So I I am at an all-time low in confidence that they'll do the right thing and just make it the DH universal. But, you know, if that if that is the case, I expect Marcel Azuna to fill that role, and that does leave a hole in left field. And, I I mean, I think it's fair to say that if Drew Waters is in the organization, he's going to get the first shot at it. But that's just kind of one of those situations where we kind of see how he's playing and what he looks like this year. Um, I know he's a little bit digged up. He has an oblique issue right now, so that's going to be something to kind of monitor as well. But, overall, you know, yes, I, I think that if he's still in the organization, then he's the guy that gets a look. I, I have no reason to think that the Braves are going to actually use their prospect capital and actually do something because they have not have yet to do that as an organization uh, that we've seen um, since, you know, things have kind of cranked up with the rebuild and then turned into kind of this, this window of contention that they're in right now. Um, what does Gwinnett's starting outfield look like? Garrett, who do you think is going to be playing outfield over there? Uh, well, Trey Harrison
1: left, Drew Waters in center field, and I'm probably going to get, I probably, I'm sure, I'm missing somebody, and it's going to be absolutely embarrassing. But I have no idea who's going to play. Uh,
0: Demerit's De back.
1: Oh, I'm very excited about that.
0: That changes everything. <laughs> <laughs> who need, yeah, who yeah. needs Austin I, Riley? <laughs> yeah, no, uh Travis Demerit. Uh, I think he's going to be in the fold there. I mean, there's other guys too, like Terrence Gores, in the new organization, and he'll yeah. he's going to be an outfielder. It's, uh, it's going to be some
1: random guy. Like it, it's going to be Trey Harris uh Drew Waters and some random guy, Justin Dean could theoretically make it there by the end of the year, but I don't know. It's gonna be yeah. Weird.
0: There there's gonna and there's gonna be other names too. I mean like you know, Tyler Lesloni's still around and you know, maybe Jeffrey Ramos is kind of hanging around there too. I mean, not the the exciting names are like guys like Justin Dean, um and again, Travis Barrett, he's gonna be a guy that's gonna be hanging around and he'll be playing in the left uh when he's when he is playing um He's going to have games where he looks great, and he's also going to have games where he doesn't look particularly great in the outfield, and he's going to strike out three times on, like, nine pitches, and it's going to be pretty upsetting. So uh, that, that short answer is that's what it's going to look like. Without Pache in the fold anymore, um, you're going to see a lot of Drew Waters in center field at Equinette, to be sure. Um, so one last question, and then we're going to let everyone go here, uh, is that assuming he starts opening day in Atlanta – what do you think the most likely scenario for Christian Pache offensively is in 2021? And who among the Braves lower level guys, like below AA, is most likely to move multiple levels in
1: 2021? Okay, starting with question number one, Christian Pache is n- n- not not going to be very good. I mean, I think he's obviously going to be an elite defender, so it really doesn't matter. He's going to be better than Ender and Ciarte. I mean, I think offensively, if you look at, a good comparison would be if you look at the early career of Byron Buxton. He hit some home runs, you know, teens. He, you know, put the ball in play some. He didn't, you know, he he's going to have a different strikeout rate than Buxton. But generally, he's going to have some swing and miss. He's not going to walk a ton. He's going to hit enough home runs and play absolute ridiculous defense. And that's what you're going to get. It's, that's kind of where I see him. Um... Second question, who among the Braves lower level guys is most likely to move multiple levels? The first one on the list, I'm sure you can guess this, Michael Harris. They are I have a feeling for a lot of guys they're going to be very I don't know if Harris is going to be one of those, but I think for a lot of guys they're going to be very um what's the word? conservative with their original placement. They're going to put guys at levels that seem a little bit low and then when they hit their way out of that level, they're gonna move them up very quickly. I have a feeling that's what's gonna happen just because they want to get, want to see guys at those levels. They want to see guys that haven't played in two years play a ball, but then once they hit for a couple weeks, they're gonna be like, alright, you're fine. Just go on to the next level. I think Harris is gonna be a little bit different than that, but I do think he's, you're gonna see him move. Uh, the next name I had on the list was Vaughn Grissom. Every report that we got out of the alternate site was that he was doing very very well and that he has a really he's very very advanced especially given his draft position but I also think he's going to fall into what I was just talking about where they're going to be they're not going to immediately say uh oh, you're ready for high a go play high A." they're going to put him at a ball they're going to see what happens and if he hits for a while which I think that he's more than capable of hitting at a ball instead of most guys their first year they play a full season of a ball and they stay there they're going because he has that year at the alternate site well they are going to be more likely to move a guy like grissom that is advanced and move him up to high a i don't see grissom making it to double a i mean it's theoretically possible for a couple weeks but he's not going to spend significant time there the other guy on the list and the one that almost certainly will move around a lot, is William Woods. He's getting absolutely destroyed in the game right now, two home runs, but he's probably not going to start out at a high level. With relievers, you never really actually know exactly what the Braves are going to do because you don't get to see a ton of their work in spring training, so you don't know where they are. Woods, I would expect to start low and then... He has great stuff. If he starts performing, they're going to push him to high a, and they'll push him to double A. And, you know, I mean, he's, eh, he's not that old. He's 22, but still. He's an older player, so they'll probably – he's a guy I think they'll start low. He'll do well enough and just kind of get pushed through the system. And so that's the three that kind of jumped out to me, but – there's going to be a lot of moving that goes around where they're going to place guys at levels and kind of see what happens and then make adjustments from there.
0: See, I've been fooled by Braves prospects that throw near triple digits before, uh, and they like stay at the same level for three years, then they move three levels in one year, make the major leagues look good for like three weeks, and then we never see them again. Uh, Mauricio Cabrera is an example. Chad Sabatka. Uh, we keep seeing pop up every now and then, although it's unclear as to why uh, is another example. Um, I, uh, so maybe I'm, I'm a little bit more skeptical on William Woods than others. I mean, I, I, I respect the fact that the guy throws as hard as he does uh, and he was at the back end of my top 30, but I, I'm not to see him actually performing games before I'm really going to be able willing to do much more other than that. Uh, and moving up quickly as a reliever, you do so with the attempt to put him in the bullpen quick in like the bullpen immediately. Uh, that's kind of the general idea is like, hey, this is the guy that we think that can help us now. Uh, and he has the fastball for that in terms of velocity, but I'm not sure if he's the guy that's going to end up moving quickly. Um, I will say that your, I think that your impulse, maybe the correct one, is that, that they might be a little – maybe not be super aggressive with those initial assignments, uh, which is going to apply a lot to that 2020 draft class. If you're putting Jared Schuster or Jesse Franklin or Bryce Elder lower in the minors – uh and we haven't seen Jared Susser in spring. We haven't we don't know kind of where he at where he's at, which kind of ex- makes me wonder if he's going to be kind of lower in the minors, but he's also a guy that again is a college pitch pitcher and could and Bryce Eller is kind of the same way. Are those guys going to be putting like, you know, put it in Augusta or put it in Rome and then just pitch their brains out and move quickly? I could see that happening. Um those are the kinds of guys that I'm looking at. Uh, other guys that I think could move quickly, um, Michael Harris is obviously a guy that we've identified uh, on, in, on multiple, in multiple instances here. Bryce Ball is an interesting case because it depends on where they started. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they put him at high A at Rome. Uh, again, that moves him up a level, but just see if he keeps mashing. And if he keeps mashing, then move him up the double A and then move him up the triple A. Because one thing that Bryce Ball doesn't have at all is competition at first base. You know what I mean? Even if you're just wanting to give him at bats. You know what I mean? Once he gets the AAA and he's still mashing, then you can figure out where you might need to play him. Uh, if that means you might need to play him in left or maybe he's a DH only and then you have to kind of figure something else out. Like, but if he's continually mashing by then you can make those decisions. But for right now, if you need him to just get at bats and to figure out if he can still mash, he doesn't have competition in the brave system. There's no one above him. Makai Baxter is kind of, you know, he's going to be playing first and he's going to be a little bit lower in the minors than Bryce. But Bryce, if he's mashing, he can just keep going up levels without any, without any competition, really. Um, you know, and again, the guys that Garrett mentions, all these guys that we haven't seen in pro, in pro ball before, you know, the, the Joey Esses, the Tyler Owens, those guys that we just haven't seen in a while that could come back and have like, you know, gotten another two years really of, of growth in their bodies and development. You know, we could see them come out and move pretty quickly it's worth mentioning that when you lose a year, you have to wonder, you know, how much time. You don't want to necessarily waste too much time with like, you know, keeping guys at levels if they've, if they're outperforming them. So I think that your initial impulse is a good one is that, you know, be conservative early on, but have a quick trigger when they, when you realize that the guy doesn't belong there. Um, and those are guys that I think that could move quickly. I think that some of the other guys that maybe we like. Uh, might actually start higher than, uh, than would be required to answer this question. But overall, those are kind of the guys that I'm targeting. All right, Garrett. Uh, predictably, we still managed to run pretty long on this podcast. So is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we go? Uh,
1: I don't really have anything interesting. Uh, I'm eating some really good garlic bread. That's about all that's going on for me right now. Uh, but it's been a, it's been a good podcast, I think. I think we covered a lot and I'm glad to be. Glad to have done this. I hope we'll be, I hope I will be more available going forward. At least let's say that.
0: For sure. Uh, it's always good having you on. It's good talking baseball with you. Uh, if you want to make sure you're following along with the podcast you want to know when new episodes drop, make sure you follow the podcast Twitter account, which is at Road, the number two Atlanta on Twitter. Uh, you'll also be able to see uh, on TalkingShop.com. We'll post, uh, make a post each time there's a new podcast, but the best way you can do to support the podcast, as well to make sure you don't miss a podcast, is to subscribe to the Talking Chop podcast stream. Uh, once you subscribe to that podcast stream, two things will happen. One, you won't miss a single episode of Road to Atlanta. But two, you will also get the Talking Chop podcast hosted by the great Brad Roland. Sometimes yours truly uh, chips in, as well as Scott Coleman and a lot of other guests. Uh it's a great show. It covers the my major, major league side of things. You get two podcasts for the price of one, for the low, low cost of zero dollars. Uh but that's the best way to support the podcast is to subscribe to that that stream. Uh leaving five star reviews uh on whatever your preferred podcast purveyor also, is extremely helpful, and we appreciate all the support the podcasts have gotten over the years, and we're going to keep trying to make this a regular podcast. Uh, we're only about a month away from actually being able to see minor league baseball on the regular again, which, frankly, uh, I can speak to the, for the entirety of the minor league staff at Talking Chop has been sorely, sorely needed because we've missed it a lot. Thanks again so much, guys. Thanks for listening, and until next time, we'll see you on the road.